When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, and Merry Christmas from the Roker Report Extra podcast. I hope that you got absolutely everything that you wanted from Santa Claus and you're fully geared up for a mammoth clash on Thursday between mid-table Sunderland and bottom-of-the-table Bolton Wanderers. We haven't had a game for absolutely ages, so it's quite unsurprising that I feel a little bit better in myself. To chat the crazy season that is Bolton Wanderers and everything that's gone on from August onwards, we've got Eddie from fellow SB Nation site, The Line of Vienna Suite. How are you doing, Eddie? You all right? I'm not too bad, Gray. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas indeed. I'm sure it'll go all good south for at least one of us by tomorrow, but first things first, I don't know how long this is going to take, but how would you describe the season following Bolton Wanderers? It's, it's a tough one, really. It's been really hard to be a Bolton fan these last couple of years, especially with all the financial turmoil we've had off the pitch. and The uh, farmer owner, Ken Anderson, just let, let the debts stack up, all little debts. and There's a lot of people who, who have been missed out on and being paid because of his, his uh, mismanagement of the club and in April, we went into administration um, and that was a tough period and we nearly went under and thankfully the owners came in in August, but we had to start the season on minus 12 points and with barely any uh, first team players registered, I think we had four or five players over the age of 24, 25 in the squad. Um, so it was mostly kids, which many League One sides are taking, uh, are having a problem with now. So it's been really tough, really. I mean, we came through that period and... Um, Obviously, you'll all know all about Phil Parkinson. He left and Keith Hill came in and results have started to steadily improve. And uh, Even though we're still bottom of the league, you know we've been picking up results steadily and uh, hopefully uh, come the new year, we can pick up some more results and uh, with the games in hand that we've got and try and push ourselves out of the bottom uh, three. But, you know, it looks like we might get relegated, but at least we've still got a team to watch at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. Last time I spoke to a Bolton fan about the situation, it was a case of, I think you're just happy to be able to watch your club. And that's completely understandable because I bet there's many Berry fans that wish they were very much in the same place and potentially Macclesfield as well. But now that you have picked up a few wins and a few big wins as well have been like a few last minute winners. Um, I think it was MK Dons. Does it, does it feel like normal football again, if that makes sense, as opposed to everything being off the field? Does it feel like you're actually following an actual football club that are actually competing again, as opposed to just watching football and pleased that you're watching football? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, what most Bolton fans have been screaming for for the last couple of years is just mediocrity. You know, to be not in their headlines all the time with stuff that's going on off the pitch, you know, unpaid players, unpaid um, 
you know, transfer fees or whatever it was. And it's nice to be a little bit boring again, and it's nice to just concentrate on what happens on at three o'clock on a Saturday. You know, to just sit down at ground and watch your team and not have to worry about anything that's going on in the background. And that's been nice. When did it start turning like that though? Because obviously you got battered week on week. Then we went to we went to the Reebok, and I'll be honest with you, for me that game which I was at kind of felt like even though it actually wasn't it did feel like that was the final nail in Jack Ross's coffin because we played really poorly but I have kind of kept an eye on Bolton's results since then because as you say you were in the news and to be honest it's not the worst result on the planet based on the results you're getting elsewhere because I think and correct me if I'm wrong on this but if you take out obviously a 12 point deduction you would have been out of the relegation zone by this point I think maybe just inside by one or two points, possibly. So in a sense, you've gone five or six games playing 15 to 16 year olds. Mm-hmm. But since the other players have came in, it's actually quite a good squad when you go through it. I mean, you've got quite a few former Sunderland players that are in there and Daryl Murphy is the one that sticks out. But how's the likes of Bridcut and sort of Will Buckley doing? I mean, Will Buckley um, started uh, under he signed on the deadline day under Keith Hill and he's been injured for a couple of months now but he was playing as a kind of like a false number nine for the first few weeks um, and I think maybe his last game at home I think was against uh, you lot and I thought he played really well because uh, he's not naturally a winger but Keith Hill saw him more as a, a player down the middle and um, he's out of contract in January but hopefully you know if he comes back to fitness and uh, before then maybe they'll extend his deal and because uh, we're kind of missing that creativity in the middle. You know, I, I think it, it could work well as a number 10 behind Daryl Murphy, especially. And I think out of all the, the former Sunderland lads, uh, Daryl Murphy's probably hit the ground running the most. Um, it took a while for him to get up to speed because he hadn't played for so long and he wasn't match fit and he had niggly injuries. So he, he only made his first appearance in October. But since then, he's gone on to score six goals, which is only one less than Josh McGuinness managed all of last season. So, he, you know, he's, he's really doing well. He's also the first Bolton player in over 20 years scoring four consecutive home games which is just crazy and he's the first Bolton player in 18 19 years to score in five consecutive league games so he's he's, he's really done well and um Liam Brickett's the other one of course and uh, he's been a little bit hit and miss with some fans um especially if you read uh, an article on our site where one of our writers Tom isn't isn't a fan of him at all but I, I still think he's, he was a bit of a coup to get him because uh, he's, you know, he's proven himself at teams like Leeds and Forest um, in in periods, and especially Brighton early on in his career. Um, but I think he really does when he's on, on the top of his game. He really does run our midfield, and you know, he's always calling for the ball, and he he kind of can, uh, controls the tempo of the game. But the last couple of games, because of uh, injuries and other lot, you know, circumstances, we, he's been playing at centre half, and he's, you know, he's quite uh, short in stature, so that's been a bit strange to look at. Uh, but it's kind of worked and. But I'd like to see more in midfield, and if he can get, you know, a, a bigger run of games in that defensive midfield spot, I'm sure most fans will uh, will warm to him. And it's strange in a sense as well that Liam Bridcut is probably the one that's feeling to impress the least because I suppose in a sense, Liam, I mean, Liam Bridcut was never a Premier League player. I can guarantee you that much. And we we saw that pretty early, and we had him during the Premier League years. And I think Gus Poyet was he very much pinned his hopes on him being. I think there's a famous quote. Where he said, like, if he even if he was Real Madrid manager, he would sign Liam Bridcut, which I bet he wouldn't. Um, but him, him in League One to me seemed like the biggest signing that you'd made. But you were saying about Daryl Murphy. I think I checked before. He's got a goal 
is it a goal every other game now with Daryl Murphy? Yeah. And I think another person, Daryl Murphy in a way is a weird one because he was a Sunderland for a long time. And in a sense, he's, he's almost seen as like a joke player, but he actually did a pretty decent job for us. But I think it's more to do with the fact that he seemed a bit hard of a pee. I think that's the best way to put it. And there's quite a famous photo of him kind of being out jumped by Sean Wright Phillips, who was about four foot two. Um, so it's a, a relatively famous photo, and I think that's how people tend to remember Daryl Murphy. But he came back a couple of years ago in our championship season, and he scored a late winner. Last time he played at the stadium, he actually scored a winner um, for Nottingham Forest. But he seems to have bulked up a bit and, and got a bit more strength and a bit more wily in his older age. What what kind of player is Daryl Murphy now compared to maybe the one that we saw previously? Yeah, I think he's he's, he's certainly more of a target man type. Um... He can win a header or two now. He'll be getting outjumped by Sean Wright Phillips these days. Um, he, he's still got a, a touch of pace. I don't know how fast he was back in the day, but he, you know he, he, he can still run for a 36-year-old. But I think he's had to adapt his game as he's gotten older. And he's he's a smarter player now anyway, from what I've seen. And from what I've seen from his time at Ipswich and Forest, I think um, he was definitely a late bloomer. And he's turned into someone who can... You know, dictate play up front, and also you know, still as as an eye for goal, and and can finish. You know, like on Saturday against um, uh, Southend, he he um he, he latched onto a, a really poor um, touch by Dieng and ran through and chipped the ball over. So it was a real composed finish, and I think that's what he brings to the club most of all. Because if uh, most fans will say that you know he, he could have a really poor game, but then he's still the one who's for putting our chances away and I think that's what we've missed for years is a, a proven goal scorer and so far Daryl Murphy's that man yeah you know he's very much a, a proven goal scorer and I suppose in a sense as well it's a bit different now because there is still it's it's not completely unlikely that you could stay up because you are winning games but I think Daryl Murphy going to Bolton was almost quite a strange move because I think he could pretty much play for anyone in this league and score goals as you see he's, he's a proven goal scorer at the level above but he's how old is he now 36 yeah, 36. 36. Um, he was, I would never say he was slow, but he was never sort of that fast. And I definitely resonate with what you said about him being a, a late bloomer because I think he, he came to Sunderland as a very, very young lad during a very difficult time. And he only really came to the fore under the Roy Keane years when he played up front alongside uh, David Connolly. And then when he went into the Premiership, we actually played him quite a bit on the on the left wing. And by the time I think it was Steve Bruce came in, he kind of was completely out of the picture by then. And he ended up going to Celtic where he didn't do very well, but then went Ipswich and has done very well since then. Um, Will Buckley, on the other hand, I, I have to go back to that again as well. I remember that he was playing almost like a target man against us. And he actually did play okay. quite well, which I think is more against us than maybe Will Buckley. But Will Buckley was another player that never really worked for us. Um, is he likely to, to play on Boxing Day? I mean, he's, I think he's still injured at the minute, so I'd, uh, I do doubt that. Um, he's, but yeah, he's, he's an odd one with fans because he's been here three years now, I think, and yeah. um, we, we've never really seen uh, the play. Like, he's, he's, he's never really proven to be the player he was at Brighton. Uh, maybe it's just the, the spell at you that didn't work out. You know, and he, he had a couple of long moves to Birmingham and Leeds that didn't really work out. And but he, he's, he's, he's shown flashes of you know, the player he was at Brighton, but he, he's just not shown that enough. So he's, he's not really got a lot of fans at Bolton, but he, the, he probably his best spell was those first few weeks on the Keith Hill where he was playing, in, you know, as a striker in an unnatural, like, false number nine position. So if he, if he can 
like if if we do agree to like extend his deal in January because his deal runs out um, at the start of January um, and he comes back to fitness and he can play in that attacking midfield role, um, um, you know, it might work in our favour. I noticed that you also have recently picked up uh, Joseph, uh, I think it's Dudu is the correct pronunciation, obviously former Rangers and uh, Leicester. I think he took a little while to get going, but he seemed to have been in the goals scored on Saturday. Um, is there any other players we should be sort of wary of outside of former players that are sort of the Bolton? Yeah, I think it's the two wingers, uh, Dodo, who you've just mentioned, and um, uh, Aloni that we got from Stoke, uh, Tibor for Linden. Who's a real okay. tricky, yeah, real tricky winger. Um, especially if he can, you know, out wide on his, if you can get him on his left foot, he's um, he's got a real pinpoint delivery. Um, which has helped us with a couple of goals this season. So probably him. And if he plays, um, we've got a youngster called Ronan Darcy, who uh, played in Keith Hill's first game against Rotherham and then wasn't seen again until uh, the other week against MK Dons. But he's a not. Uh, yeah, he's a fantastic player. Um, probably our best young prospect. I think he's only uh, 18, and he's been linked with teams like um, Celtic and Rangers and teams like that in the summer. And he's a he's a real talent, and he's been playing like a an, in the number 10 position. That uh, Ali Crawford, who's another player, who's injured. Or Will Buckley would have probably been the first choice, but he's coming and he's he's a little lightweight, but uh, you know he's got a real great first touch and he's got a real eye for the ball. So hopefully uh, he can have a good game on Thursday. Outside of um, Darcy, actually, something that's just made me think, the players that obviously started the season were all sort of youth teamers, like really, really young players. Have any mm-hmm. of them, apart from Darcy, um, sort of been part of the squad since then? Have they all kind of gone back to their, their academy sides? Yeah, the the majority have gone back um, to the under-18s and the under-23s. Um, there's a couple that have uh, have been mainstays. There's two that have been injured, um, Harry Brockbank and Liam Edwards, um, who are both defenders uh, got injured early on in the season while we were still playing the kids and if they hadn't done they probably would have been involved in first team football a lot more uh, Edwards was on the bench um, at the weekend and then there's Johan Zuma who's the younger brother of Kurt Zuma uh, the Chelsea defender the one that gave been... the penalty at the Reebok I think didn't he the handball of... yeah. One... yeah yeah that's right that, yeah. that was unfortunate yeah he, um, he gave you the <laughs> chance to equalise um, but he's been uh, I'm I think he's been our most. Well, he's probably played the most this season in, um, in, as our defenders, and it, he's a little bit hit and miss. He's, um, we had a defender a few years ago called Prince Dzeguano, who uh, was, you know, could chase a man from twenty yards and produce a brilliant tackle. But the next thing, you know, he's he's done a, a, a woeful back pass, or his touches like opened <laughs> up and you know let him score. And Zuma's that sort of player, but he's only young. He's only twenty one, twenty two. And, but he's got a real raw talent, and if he, you know if we can hone in on his skills, you know he's, he's got fantastic pace. He can he, he um he can produce a great tackle, but he's you know if he works on his marking and his his positioning, he he could probably be a great defender at this level. Now we've talked about former players that play for for Bolton. We've talked about the players that you have and things like that. But I think we're probably missing the elephant in the room here that. Um, the last time we played you, Jack Ross was our manager. Uh, he went a few weeks later after getting beat off Lincoln, probably coincided with the result we got at Bolton. And we brought in a certain manager that, I'll be honest with you, hasn't done very well. And that's putting it lightly. Um, so Phil Parkinson, I, I've got to ask as a, a Bolton fan, were you surprised when Sunderland went for Phil Parkinson? Uh, no, um, because, he, you know... His, his style of play, well, you, as some fans will all know, no, his style of play is not the prettiest. Um, he's not the warmest of characters. 
You but, could say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but his, his, his first two years with us um, are all the CV he needed to get the job at Sunderland. Um, you know, he, um, we were under a chance of embargo when he came in 2016 and he managed to get us promoted at the first time of asking, which was absolutely fantastic. And not only that, you know, the season after he kept us up in the championship, all whilst still being under a transfer embargo. And in, in total, in his three years at the club, he only signed one player for cash money, and that was Josh McGuinness for £250,000, £300,000. The rest were either free transfers or loans. So he, he was really limited with what he had to work with at our club. But for the first two years, definitely it worked in our favour. And what he managed to, you know, do a, a great job. I mean, it's last season, off-field troubles played the part. and. Uh, kind of we suffered on the pitch because of that but the, you know the style of play really suffered and uh, results were really poor and he, you know he kind of looked um, lost at times last season and so I think it was probably the right time for him to go in August he, he walked away um, some fans will say he walked before he, he was pushed anyway um, but he walked away with his head held high for how he handled himself in administration you know um, that opening game against Wickham he had to really convince the the few first team players that we actually had to play could be because they were still refusing to get on the coach to travel down um so fans have respect for him in that way but then how he's done at Sunderland a lot of Bolton fans are jeering at the fans who thought you know give him a chance and are saying we told you he was rubbish and you know we told you he was going to be crap and all that but I think that's it's just unfortunate the way it's worked out but in many in the in Bolton fans eyes in a lot of Bolton fans eyes it's not a surprise, um, but I'm slightly surprised because, you know, you've probably got the best squad in the league. You've certainly got individually, the, probably the best individual talent in the league in the likes of Maguire and McGeady. Um, so he, sh- he should be doing a hell of a lot of a, a better job. You mentioned his, his personality, and I think it is fair to say he's been quite dour. And um, I don't I don't speak for every Sunderland fan here, but I suppose I can only speak as I find. And I've always found that in my lifetime, at least, the bigger personalities are the ones that are the, the best managers, even if they haven't particularly done well elsewhere. Um, Peter Reid, obviously, was probably the best manager in my lifetime. Roy Keane is someone that I think a lot of people still harbour a lot of time for and would love to see back at the club. Both managers outside of Sunland, I mean, obviously, Reedy did well at Man City, but Reedy after Sunland didn't do all that much, if anything. Um, Roy Keane, really unsuccessful spell at Ipswich. But their individual times at Sunderland were great. The the other argument, the big one, would be Sam Allardyce. But I think he's done well, in my opinion, pretty much everywhere he's been. Um, mm-hmm. But they all have big personalities. They all seem to know how to take a club like Sunderland on and set certain standards. And Phil Parkinson seems a lot more like the dour character that David Moyes was, which ultimately I think a lot of people would pinpoint the appointment of David Moyes to replace Sam Allardyce is the real beginning of our downfall and the real closing of the door on what was the, the Premier League era for us. Um, Parkinson dealt with a lot of stuff at, at, uh, at Bolton. It wasn't like he had an all right time and he just kind of coasted through stuff. Do you think he's got the kind of personality to ignite a club like Sunderland from the position he's now in? See, that's tough because I, I, when he came in a couple of months back, I would have said yes because of the job he did in his first season at Bolton, you know, we were in a real dour place. We just got relegated. Uh, we were under a transfer embargo. Uh, we barely had a squad, um, so we had to sign a lot of players. And um, the players that we did have uh, were 
completely awful in the fans' eyes. You know, they were the, they were the ones who had led to our relegation. They were the ones who had let the club down, and they weren't fit to wear the shirt. So he, he really had a job to motivate not those players and uh, bring in a squad and gel them with the players we already had. And so, that, so he did that well with us, and I thought he would have done that uh, with you initially, but it, it's not worked out that way. So I mean, he, he's probably you know he's in a corner now where. Um, do uh, does Stuart Donald uh, pull the trigger before the new year? You know when you're going into the transfer window and look to sign a new manager, or you know do you back him and do you let him sign his own players and put his own stamp on the club? And does that change your results? And does that change how he can impact the team? It's it's a real struggle for him, and um, it, maybe you know if you don't get results against those on Thursday or on Sunday, um, then maybe maybe. Um, They'll think to move on, and maybe they'll think to put someone else in to be in charge for the January transfer window. There is, I mean, a, a, there's probably a few Sunderland fans listening, thinking, "Well, we thought the same after to, after Gillingham, and we thought the same after sort of a few games with Parkinson that it was, and it feels, to be honest with you, with Parkinson that it's it's untenable. You, it, it's probably funny for an opposition fan in a sense, maybe not for us, but if you notice anything that the club officially like tweet out literally anything they're just a barrage of comments saying sack phil parkinson sack sack pp hashtag sack okay. pp um and it almost feels like untenable so i almost feel like even if we don't pull off results over the christmas period Stuart don's gonna stick with him almost to prove that oh, i don't know what he's trying to prove but it, it, for me he should have been gone a few weeks ago but um i think there was a there was a like a, a a vote, I think ninety percent said for him to go. But I think most people now just accept that we're stuck with him. And, and a few people have also looked and, and said, you know, maybe the problem lies a lot deeper than Phil Parkinson. But I suppose if he is staying, as we do approach January, you've touched before that a lot of his signings were free transfers. He only ever spent money on one player. But what what was Parky like in the transfer window when he was able to sign players? Was he was he quite good in the scouting? Did he know? Did he have a good I'm trying to think of the word here. Did he have a good knowledge of like kind of the league he was working in? Because we've been told he has. Yeah, I'd, I'd say he's got a really good knowledge of League One. Um, I, spent, I think I think that's proven in the the signing of Felipe Moraes, um halfway through our season. He got released by Bradford. He was a bit part player for Bradford um, the year he got released um, as a winger, and he turned out to be probably the best signing we've made this decade. Um, not the obviously not the best player we've made, but in terms of impact on a season, the best signing. Yeah, uh, I think he came in and scored uh, a goal and made fourteen assists in eighteen games or something. Um, like he led the he led league one in assists in three just in a three month spell with us, uh, all while playing as a wing back, which he'd never done his career. He was predominantly a winger, and Phil Parkinson put him as a wing back in, in like a three five two formation. Um, so it's players like that who aren't the glamour types who you know um, come from these you know coming from teams that they're not favoured at in League One, and he was a prime example of that. Um, I think players like Josh McGuinness he also got from Charlton when they were in League One, and that kind of the other side of the coin. He was the only player that was spent money on. He initially had some success, and then just went off the radar completely. Just went downhill from September onwards. So it's, it's, it was real hit and miss. There was a lot of players who were signed on loan and freeze. And I don't really like blame him for this because we were very limited in, you know, the market we could shop in. But there were some players who 
just didn't have any impact at all. And all the like the real high profile signings that we made, like James Henry and players like that, just didn't hit the ground at all. So, I mean, I, who knows? We, I mean, you've got a bigger budget certainly than we have. So if he is given freedom to um, go out and sign players who he wants, he might be able to sign a better calibre of player than he did with us and might have more flexibility and more uh, manoeuvrability in the market to sign players who are going to fit into his system and are certainly going to be um, you know, better quality for you as you try and push up the table in the second half of the season. Because he was very, very limited um, with what he could sign with us. So I think it's kind of hard to describe him as um, his kind of um, manner in the market anyway while he was with us. I think another thing with, with Parkinson as well, I was looking through his, his win ratio and I'll be honest, his time at Bolton was his lowest outside of his spell at Hull, which I think was quite disastrous. 31.1 is technically the worst of his career. But if you look through, if you take out Hull and you look through his win ratio, They've all been around the sort of 30% mark. Um, just to kind of give a bit of fairness towards Parkinson, uh, there's many, many negatives that Sunderland fans can talk about. And it seems that there's some negatives Bolton fans could speak about as well with them. But what are the benefits of Parkinson? At, at, or what were the benefits at Bolton? And what could they be at Sunderland? Where do you think, you know, we should be looking... How do, how do I describe this again? Um, I, I get lost for words for Phil Parkinson, to be honest with you. Um but what, what are the benefits to having Phil Parkinson at your club? Because at the moment, I think we're scrambling to find it. And there's got to be some because his CV is not too bad. I mean, I would have said um, you, you're guaranteed to get promotion. <laughs> but that's not what we worked <laughs> at in the last couple of months. That's certainly what I said in, in an article for your site a couple of months back. Um, I also would have said he's a fantastic man, Morty Berta, which, <laughs> again, uh, probably there's a lot of fans listening to this going, what the hell is he talking about? Um <laughs> But those two things were the big things that I pointed out when I was giving him a reference um, for your site a couple of months back. Yeah. And aside from that, it's hard to see past that really because that is what he brought to our club, the first two things. Um, and that is what helped us get promoted and then sustain the division because, like I mentioned before, there was a lot of players who were still the uh, a couple who were still on Premier League wages when we dropped to League One, like Darren Prattley, like David Weiter, who in the fans' eyes, should have left the club a long time ago and, you know, weren't, weren't at the best anymore. And he he turned them into players who contributed massively in in, uh, in that season. David Wheater scored uh, nine or ten goals from centre-half in that season. So, man motivation is, is the big thing that always stuck out to me, but it's, it's just really not worked out. Maybe it's just the players, maybe it's just his style of management, I don't know. Um just going away from Parker for a second, when Keith Hill came in as manager, there was a, an article that came out with one of our youth players that when he was sitting down at the canteen, he was trying to find a table at the canteen at the training ground and Keith Hill and the man, and the staff and uh, said, oh, why don't you come and sit with us? And he said, uh, oh, we weren't allowed to when, uh, under Parkinson. Mm. So it's, it's a different mentality and maybe it's just his mentality is just rub your players the wrong way and um, it's just not worked out. You know, you see this with some managers where they just aren't a fit at that club. You know, for whatever reason, Phil Parkinson was the right man to take over with us at that time, and he was the right manager to get us promoted. Uh, it was probably the feeling of some Bolton fans, and I, I kind of felt like this sometimes that he should have gone after getting us promoted. 
um, if we had any ambitions of you know going higher up the divisions because I don't think anybody saw him as someone who could take us back to the Premier League and not necessarily that we were in any kind of position to be looking for promotion from the Championship um, a couple of years ago anyway. But maybe he's just not the right man. Maybe he wasn't the right fit um, to get the club going again. Maybe it should have been a fan's choice like Kevin's, uh, Kevin Phillips with uh, Peter Reid as assistant to try and help him out. You know, Maybe it should have been uh, a Nigel Pearson or you know a higher profile manager he was available and uh, if you know like I said before it's, it's Stuart Donald's decision now whether or not to pull the trigger um, going into the January transfer window. You mentioned about um, the situation with the the youth team player there and I think we spoke a little bit off, off air and it's it's funny you asked off air you said has he ostracized anyone from the side yet mm-hmm. Um, and obviously everyone listening will, will know that my answer to that would have been yes, our best player, Aidan McGeady, who, to be fair to, to Aidan, um, or to be fair to Parkinson, sorry, he has been very under par this season, Aidan McGeady. I wouldn't say that he's been anywhere near what he has been last season. There's obviously something not quite right with him, but is that something that he's done regularly where he will sort of ostracise a certain player? Certainly at Bolton, yeah. Um Definitely last season and the season before the two seasons in the Championship. Mark Little is the standout, really. He, um, he was our first choice right back all through our first season back in the Championship. And he got sent off at QPR and then wasn't seen really in, um, for the rest of the season. I think he might have played in the game against Forest, which was the game we won to stay up. Uh, but aside from that, the season after, he was he barely played. And he's you know, he's been vocal on social media about how... He thought he was unfairly treated and said some things. And then another player was Luke Murphy, who um, started this last season brilliantly. Um, we we were, I think, joint top of the league after four games. We had 10 points from 12 and he was uh, uh, really playing really well in centre midfield. And then after we lost to Sheffield United at home at the end of August last season, he it was like his one bad game, but then he didn't play again till a few months after that, maybe in the November, December or the January. Um, and there was no reason for it. Uh, Josh Vela was another player who had been fantastic in league one, maybe not pushed on and hadn't proved himself, but was still a, a midfielder and still, you know, had the kind of style that could change a game. And he disappeared uh, entirely from the team. Um, so th- there's been certain cases where players have just gone missing and like it's, uh, there was an excuse that it's to do with the number of English players in a team or the number of homegrown talent that you have to have when you start in 11 in your subs. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly there was, there's a few cases of players that have just gone missing and fans are kind of wondering um, why. It's strange that that the situation, because it's like I was saying sort of off air, it's a, it's a bit, the, the McGeady situation is sort of, you're either way one way or the other because there's a lot of rumours going around and it would be unfair to say what they were because no one actually knows. Um, but there's a few people think that if he's affecting team spirit, uh, then it's the best thing he could do and it is actually strong management. There's a few people, which is probably what I think myself, that if you've managed to ostracise the best player in your team and potentially the best player in the league rather than galvanising him and building your team around him, that's weak management. But I suppose you'll never really know. But mm-hmm. on the football on the pitch... Um, there is a game on Thursday. Um, are you coming down or is it a bit of a nightmare to get down on Boxing Day? I, I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a way to go on Boxing Day. They've got a family coming over, um, so it's going be nice to see them. And plus, all the choice of games on Amazon is probably a bit hard to turn down anyway. So, 
uh, being an armchair fan for today, watching the Premier League. And the, the last <laughs> time I came to the stadium, I like anyway. I don't think I'm ever going to see a better game. There was the free all draw a couple of years ago, so I don't really want to sully the memory of that. That was a, fun, a good day out, and it wasn't especially a good game uh, for you. It led to the Simon Grayson being sacked, but I just remember the atmosphere when I went there. It, it was probably one of the lowest times, certainly in the last few years for your club anyway. It was, uh, hostile is probably the word I'd use to describe it. But uh, yeah, I don't think I'll see a better game on Thursday than that free all draw anyway. I remember that game very, very differently. Um, I remember Simon Grayson getting sacked in the tunnel. I remember that much. But talking about, you know, staying at home, armchair fan, it would be a shame to ruin um, Boxing Day with football, wouldn't it? And I think it's really getting to that stage with potentially both of our clubs. So um, I don't blame him, mate. But um, score predictions, if you do have a score prediction in mind. Yeah, I did. Um, the I've done the behind the enemy lines um, piece for the official site. Uh, and I think I said nil-nil because that just seems like a typical... <laughs> Just seems like a perfect Phil Parkinson score, to be honest with you. I think he, he's going to be trying to uh, keep us at bay, you know, def- defensive uh, front uh, first and try and attack from there. But so I think it's going to be a little. I was I was thinking about this the other day. I was just going back and um, at the start of the, to the start of the decade, um, you know, the glory days of the Premier League. You know, you under Steve Bruce and uh, us under Owen Coyle, and um, that 10-11 season where we were. For two thirds of the season, anyway, we were both fighting for the European places and sixth and you seventh. Were, yeah, yeah. You you had um, the likes of uh, what Montari and Zenden and Bent and Welbeck and Jan. players like that. Yeah, and we <laughs> had um, Sturridge and Stuart Holden and Mark Davis and Martin Petchoff and Chung Young Lee and I just remember um, Craig Gordon pulling off that fantastic save against that night, which I think was got given a save of the decade or the save of the 25 years of the Premier League. It was, yeah. Voted yeah. the best ever save in the Premier League. And I, I was there to see it. It was quite astonishing looking back. My memories yeah, of Bolton are always that night scoring an ungoal in the 90th minute. But now you mention it, yes, that should probably be a better memory. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I I remember watching it at my mate's house on Sky and just thinking, how the hell has that not, not scored? Um, which, But it's just hard to, you know... Sunderland are in their lowest position in the club's history. We're in our lowest position since the 80s. And it's just kind of depressing to think back, you know, where we were at the start of the decade and where we are now. Yeah, it's, we, we did, um, it hasn't been aired yet, but we, we did a, a big fat pot of the decade and we went through like the best team, the best games. And when you think of where we came from to where we're at, and the same will apply to Bolton, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's supremely depressing, in fact, and you kind of wonder how we got here, and you, you do wonder if it'll ever be, it'll ever change and never come back. But I suppose, hopefully, it will be for both of us um, mm-hmm. at some point, because I think we're both, and there's probably a lot of League One fans listening to this, not liking me saying this, but I think we're both probably too big for this division, at least. Um, or at least we should yeah, be aiming tradi- higher than yeah, it. Yeah, traditionally, anyway, yeah. Traditionally, yeah, very much. You are where you are, but traditionally, mm-hmm. very much. But then, I mean, the, yeah. the, the thing that gives me hope anyway is um, I saw the table, the League One table, January 1st, 2010, and Leeds were top, and then uh, Brighton were hovering just above the relegation places, and then you had the likes of Southampton and Norwich sprinkled in there somewhere, and, you know, Leeds are on the cusp of finally going back to the Premier League after 16 years, and those other three teams are mainstays in the Premier League. Well, Norwich, maybe not, but the, the other two have been in there for years now. So that that kind of gives me a little bit of hope, but um, I think certainly you 
you lot have probably got the better chance of being there in, in 10 years' time rather than us. I'll ask that same question again after Thursday, mate. But, <laughs> but Eddie, thanks for coming on, mate. Really appreciate your time. Enjoy your Christmas. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Um, and enjoy your new year, mate. All right, thank you. Yeah, cheers. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.